0: Always be truthful, honest, you know, be clear and concise, be upfront, you know, let them sure know what's going on, handle all claims. I'm not going to say the same because not all situations are the same, but you do want to handle them in the, to be fair and concise. Um, Don't go outside of the scope of the policy. Just make sure, you know, everything's understood. You're doing everything as far as that adjuster, what your job entails.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the new Adjuster Podcast Season 2. Very excited that you're joining us today for Episode 7, the penultimate episode of our season, as we are barreling towards the end. We are a little upset about that, but we have had a lot of great subjects up until this point. If you've missed any of those previous episodes, go back and give them a watch or a listen wherever you get your podcasts. So as we get ready to dive into this episode, my name is Murphy. I'm in the property training department here in CNC, and with me, as always, is...
2: Kelsey property claims manager.
1: And today's episode is navigating insurance policies as an IA. So again, we have a very special guest today. Arneesha is joining us. So Arneesha, before we dive into the episode, tell us about what you do here at CNC. What's your position, your title? You know, what are your job duties on a daily basis throughout the company?
0: Okay, so I'm Arneesha here at CNC. I am a desk adjuster. Currently, I handle ALP claims on the Northeast Coast. I have handled weather claims, but mainly... I handle the Northeast ALP, water damage, lightning, anything that's not weather-related. Um, most of them have come from New York, New Jersey, up, just up the East Coast. So on a day-to-day basis, um, let's say I get a new claim, assess the claim, uh, make that first contact with the insurer, just get a little backstory of what's going on to fully understand yeah. and explain any claim process, anything pertaining to their uh, that, that loss and that policy so they can better get a clear understanding in the very beginning.
1: Gotcha. And when you say AOP, just for, again, our audience here, new adjusters, what does AOP stand for? Other uh, perils. Gotcha. So basically anything other than other weather related. Right. No, Deft, no wind, no feminism. hail. Yeah, there you go. So a lot of people don't think about that. They think non-weather. They think pipe burst or, you know, something along those lines. But you're right. Theft, vandalism, all that comes into play. So yeah, good stuff there.
2: Yep. She is one of our um, Northeast adjust- adjusters, which we don't have many of, so... Um, Great licenses to get anywhere on the Northeast.
1: You want to say that again for everybody listening? Yeah. Great license. Great to get. Great license. It's yeah. New York. That's, yeah. the golden that's a ticket. big one. It's yeah. a
2: golden ticket. That's right. Absolutely.
1: And you didn't have yours when you first started here, correct? I
0: did not. I only had Texas. Yep. I begged her. So yep. I came in as a claims admin <laughs> right. with just Texas. When Hurricane Eden hit, I got Florida, and I got transitioned over to a desk adjuster. And yep. from there, I've been working claims. When the CAT event ended, then I transitioned to daily claims. Yep.
1: And then She's got the New York license. Racking that's,
0: up those licenses that's ever right. since.
1: You know, it's funny. We said it on the last episode, too. And we've said it a couple times throughout this season, even last season. It seems like everybody starts out as an admin. All right. Everybody starts out as an admin with maybe their home state or just a, you know, one state. And then they keep in and then, like I said, to get a New York license, that's its own challenges, right? It really is. Because it comes with its own test, and you'll make sure that thing never expires, right? I'm the same
2: you way. You <laughs> Literally.
1: <laughs> All right, go ahead. So,
2: um, what are some common challenges that an IA would face uh, when interpreting insurance policies for a claim?
0: As an IA, to interpret insurance policies, you need to, the main thing is to understanding the endorsements. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, the most common are non-admitted policies, and with those, the, it prohibits the insurer from during the claims process or with that policy to retain a public adjuster or assign any contracts with any assignment of benefit. So you have to make sure between that the agent sells the policy, but you also want to make sure that the insurer understands those terms and limitations within their policy.
2: Yeah. That's a huge challenge because it is you, you get these insurers who have all these endorsements. They have all the, these new types of policies that aren't super common. It's not just your regular HO3 mm-hmm. to you know same same old. It's it's ones that they've agreed to. Maybe they get a lower um, premium. Yep. Maybe they've gotten discounts on it for getting this type of policy. Yep. But they've really. I would say 95% of the insurers that we get with non-admitted policies don't know what that means. They don't know that they can't have a PA. They don't know that there's AOB restrictions. They don't know most of what goes on with having that type of policy.
1: Yeah, and you're exactly right, too. With certain endorsements, exclusions, whatever, that premium comes down or it goes up. And policyholders just aren't aware of that most of the time, right, Arneesha? I mean, they know that they have to have a policy, but they don't really know what goes into it. Right. I wouldn't. If I didn't do this for a living, you might not either. So, yeah, and I think the biggest thing as an as an adjuster is you have to read the policy, right? Um, most policies, you know, if you run into HO3, you know that each HO3 is most likely the same if it's the same carrier. But, you know, tell us about that. Like when you get a, a different policy than the claim you worked previously, how much time do you set aside to go aside and, you know, and read it? Or do you have like a cheat sheet that goes along with it? How do you do that?
0: Well, first I... Look to see what state I'm working with, because that does make a difference. That's exactly right. Texas, Florida, North Carolina, New York, New Jersey. Right. Um, Those endorsements, those states, some are the same, some are different. Um, There may be one keyword such as like the roof loss settlement or the ACV loss settlement. The ACV loss settlement literally strictly pays ACV value. Mm -hmm. The loss settlement to roofs with windstorm or hail, if the roof is under 15 years, then there's recoverable depreciation. So if the insurer does have that endorsement. The field adjuster will write it as um, non-RCV. However, if that is under 15, they can submit the documents from when that roof was previously installed. And once we have that on file, then that non-recoverable turns into recoverable. So those two yeah. endorsements are important. So pay attention to which one that mm-hmm. you're working with.
1: Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I know in each state, obviously, there's different legislature. Like you said, there may be one word that changes one endorsement to the next uh, and or exclusion. Right. Like you talked about with the roof, um, the roof settlement uh, endorsement. So when you are dealing with different types of insurance policies, too, what are some of the challenges you have in jumping from one policy to the next? Right. Because in your claim queue, you may have, you know, 50 claims assigned to you, say in a catastrophe environment, you know, maybe not even outside of daily. All Not all policies are going to be the same. So how do you kind of jump between each of them to make sure they all stay separate? Do you keep your own separate section of notes for each claim or, um, you know, a ledger pad for each policy? How does that help you, especially in a CAD environment when you have so many on your table? Well, for me, what works for me,
0: um, on my desktop, I create a folder. And in that folder, I have a folder for each insurer. So I put all of their policy documents, claim documents. Anything they submit, or maybe a contractor would submit for that claim, and I keep it in the folder. So that's how I'm able to differentiate of what goes with what and which policy is what. Because, like I said, each state is different. So
2: very smart. And that's like what I do. Arnisha, she handles not just one state. Right? A lot yeah, of multiple people, states. Yeah. When they come in as a. Daily desk adjuster or a cat adjuster. You're handling one state and typically mm-hmm. maybe two to three different types of policies. Sure. But Arnisha handles claims in so many different states for us and the carrier that she works for that it not no two are the same. Yep. You know she could have 20 claims right now and maybe three of them had the same type of policy. But keeping up to date, um, you. You're working in one. I've seen her. I sit next to her. She sits right next to me. So I'd look at her computer and she's got a folder. She works on one at a time. Mm-hmm. I have never seen confusion. And that's that, that helps so much because you get in here, especially as a new adjuster, and you have all these different claims and all these different policies. And it's like, oh, my God, I thought I was looking at that last one I looked at five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. I really do think the biggest tip for that is is to Shut your brain off. You're working on this claim, this claim alone. Only have documents open for this. Yep. Even if you get a phone call, you know, tell them, hey, give me one minute. You get that stuff out of the way. And you yep. you change to a new browser or screen or whatever. But keeping those documents, reading up on it, I just, you know, that's the way I would do it. Uh, That's the way she does it. Yeah.
1: And I think that's a great tip, Arneisha. You can probably agree with this too, for a new or a seasoned adjuster, right? If somebody has been doing it for 10 years or they just started 10 minutes ago, that's the easiest way to keep everything kind of separate out uh, or, or separated at least to keep from confusing policies and or claims and things like that. So, yeah. Okay. So, Arneisha, on coverage determination letters, as a desk adjuster, we know that's super important. We've talked about it you know, ad nauseum throughout this season. So when you go to write that coverage letter, how important is it to put the policy language in there to help explain your decision? Because not only do you have to understand it, but you have to help them understand it as well when it comes to interpreting that policy.
0: Well, in the coverage determination letter with that policy language, before we get to that policy language in the letter, we spell out or state out, explain what's covered. If there's anything not covered, there is a paragraph there. So we will reference the policy language as to why that's not covered. You can tell it to them all day, explain it to the insurer. However, sometimes when they read it in black and white, they may get a better understanding to where they can interpret it, you know, to understand, okay, this is why this isn't covered. This is coming from my policy. They're not doing anything outside of their scope of work. They're doing exactly as their job as that adjuster to determine that coverage. And in the beginning, I always let the insurer know hey, once the process is completed, we have a coverage determination letter in that letter it'll state what's covered. Anything that's not covered, we address that as well. So you will receive a letter at the end of the claims process so they kind of get a you know, a better understanding of what's going on and how we reached our determination.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing that comes along with that is also the phone call, right? So the phone call a lot of times can help explain that too because then you can put it in layman's terms, you know, A lot more easily than the actual letter can, right? When you start putting the policy jargon in there and things like that. So, yeah.
2: Well, even with letters and policy language, you have to be so careful because you're writing that letter. You've got a paragraph that says, hey, these things are not covered for this reason. Uh, Your policy language, which says why, is below. But you have to be, you know, cautious when you're putting that policy language in because, yeah, the main policy, the HO3 form, has... This language, but make sure you check those special provisions or any endorsements because that same exact policy language could be changed to say, you know, this was added to this portion, and this is why it's really denied because your special provisions notes this. That's what can be confusing to insureds. They say, "No, I have my policy. I'm looking at it. It says this." Yeah, but you have to look at those special provisions to see, you know, this is why it changed. This is why this isn't covered. So, I think that's a big challenge. Yeah.
1: You ever keep uh, you ever keep hard copies of the policies like on your desk, or do they just change so often it's hard to do that? They do change, but I don't keep one
0: like physically. Once we get that certified copy, then I put that in the insurance, fo- insurance folder because yeah. that's the best copy to go by. Is re- in regard to the deck page from when the claim is
1: initially filed. Yeah. I know a lot of people are different, too. Some people like to have that sheet of paper in their hands. Some people like a digital copy. So I thought I'd ask that.
2: Well, no. uh, my thing with that is is that even if you have the sheet of paper, there are so many endorsements on every, every policy that it's going to change unless you have a stack of endorsements and a stack right. of the policy. But at the same time, to her point, this is something the day and age that we're in now – We can pull up that – we order a certified copy of every policy. We have the full one. We know it applies to the date of loss. Not only that, but you can open it and Control-F and search any word, anything that you may need to add to that letter, you can Control-F, search it. So – Yep. I think that's
1: hard to do that on a sheet of paper. Very hard. <laughs> if you got too many sheets of paper, you don't have much of a desk right. left. So <laughs> and then the deck
0: page doesn't have all the detail as the certified copy as yep. far as the endorsement. So Absolutely. you want that certified copy. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Is that the first thing you look at whenever you get that first, you know, that claim and you you obviously you have the type of policy. Is that the first thing you look at is the deck page? Trying to give you a snapshot of what's going on?
0: Yep. I've familiarized myself with the deck page. Um we do have software where we can pull up. Uh, Full policy as well, just to make sure you know that's correct. And I go through and, depending on the cause of loss and what the insured reported or whoever reported the claim, I do check that endorsement to see what endorsements could possibly apply, Mm -hmm. and then also information on the deck page, um, if they have a mortgage, and then the deductible, and then also the coverage, um, the limits of the coverage. So you want to familiarize yourself and go ahead and when you get ready to make that first call. Relate all of that information to the insurer so they can kind of get an idea because sometimes it could lead to a withdrawal. Um, yeah. Whatever the loss is, it may not exceed their deductible, and it'll be That's a undeductible. So they yeah. may want to withdraw the claim before an inspection is um, scheduled or a field adjuster goes out. Yeah.
1: So. And for the folks that aren't aware, too, explain to us why that mortgage company is so important.
0: Well, that mortgage company is important because depending on the loss and what the estimate is written for, there's a certain amount that the mortgage company has to be included on the payment Uh check as far as coverage a rebuild. If the insurer states that they've satisfied their mortgage, then we need a copy of that satisfaction of mortgage letter in order to not include the mortgage on that payment. So that is very important. So you want to confirm that with them on that initial call or if they've changed mortgage companies from one company to another,
2: we'll need that later as well. Yep,
1: That's exactly right.
2: Because yep. Yep. we don't want to list the wrong one on that payment because...
1: No, then you create a ping pong match. Well, especially when
2: a lot of the mortgage companies that you have are not local to you. You'd have to mail See it, it, it to mm-hmm. them, send it back. Or yep. when they get the check, they're like, oh my God, I need to start my work, but this is not my mortgage company. Yep, That's why the number one thing you ask, not number one, but one of the big things you it's ask close. on that first yeah. call. Close. It's important. Yeah it's so important well that kind of leads me into my next question is what challenges you know do you experience with dealing with you know new or evolving types of policies and how do you adapt to those changes so i was thinking you know kind of like the non emitted you mentioned earlier that's a huge challenge because not only are you learning it but the insurers are having to figure it out too
0: yep some Aside from the non-admitted policies, we do have the condo um, endorsements, uh, the understanding of the loss assessments. Some condo uh, policies, there are limits for loss assessments that the carrier will pay. I've seen some where there's a 5000 limit or 3000 limit. So even though you see that endorsement on the deck page, you still want to read the actual page inside the policy to see what was covered. There's also a deductible for the loss assessment as well. So That's different. Though, no matter how many yeah, loss assessments, it's all for that one event. So once they've exceeded, I mean, once they've met that limit, the policy is not going to, you know, pay over yeah. for that uh, assessment. So that is a big one. There's um, mold testing, pre-testing and post-testing. There's limits for that. So understanding that mold limit as far as a policy. And then also water backup damage. There's limit for water damage. Um, currently, a lot of our claims are coming through with water damage. So there is a limit. We have to send a water endorsement letter to, the insurance so they're where, you know, it's ten thousand or whatever your limit is and also inclusive of mitigation. So you do have the option um to use a d- direct repair for with your policy or you can use your own contract, however those limitations still apply. So it's just understanding those <laughs> endorsements yeah. and it's understanding so your policy of what's going on. So yeah. you can, you know, there's know a know what's covered and it's it. not.
1: Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it because you have to be the expert, right? You have to be the one that helps explain that and, you know, gets everybody on the same page as the adjuster, whether it's desk or field. So, you know, it's not the uh, it's not the insurance or the policyholder's responsibility to understand it all A to Z, right? And typically they don't.
2: So, yeah, and, and everything you just said was like the, you know, getting the direct repair stuff set up. There are so many, you know – specifics that go along with that like if you do this then you get this if you don't do this you don't get this and if you do that you're limited to this it's so much to remember but it's our obligation as you know insurance professionals to explain that and say hey this is let me let me break it down for you in layman's terms like this is what this means here you go here's the here's what you need to do or here's your options
0: yeah sometimes you'd expect that agent to have went over everything and broke it down for the insurer but they're just they sell the policy they write the policy and sell it because there's been times we had to contact the to like hey this is what's going on we're trying to explain it to this insurer they're not understanding could you maybe step in you know They may, maybe they'll hear it different coming from a different perspective right. or someone else. So. Yeah, because maybe that's
1: somebody they have a better relationship with, right? right. You just met them. right? they may be local in yep.
0: an office to where they can actually <laughs> physically see someone, and that right. does make a difference in yeah. understanding.
1: Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, obviously it's not ideal, but a lot of times policy language is open to interpretation, mm-hmm. right? It's very ambiguous. How do you deal with those scenarios where it's not clear-cut black and white? Is there some kind of an escalation process, or do you get to make the call? How does that work?
0: Normally, if there's ambiguities or like a discrepancy, you first as the adjuster want to understand the policy and that endorsement, interpret it to where it benefits the insured, maybe they'll understand okay. it. You can give different scenarios, just break it down to where they can understand and you know be truthful and honest in just a clear, concise manner
2: yeah I mean, I know what we do. We kind of roundtable everything. So, mm-hmm. hey, I'm looking at this policy. It looks like it's denying coverage for this. What do you think about it? And I can promise you three other people can look at that same policy and they say, oh, no, I think that there's co- coverage for this. Yep. And then what is our outcome? Whatever benefits the insured right. the most. Mm-hmm. Like that's yep. what we come to. You know, this in- insurance is for them. If We don't always agree on it. Sometimes we reach out to the carrier. Sometimes we just talk amongst each other. But we want to... You know, come to the conclusion which whatever's best for the injured, right? I mean,
1: yeah, I think that goes back into that teamwork environment, like we always talk about, and you know, roundtable and ask your neighbor. You know, everybody had a first day. We, you know, we've come up with all the you know, all the different sayings for it. But I think when you talk about roundtabling a coverage decision or a policy interpretation, that's important. You know, it's it's inclusive. It gets everybody on the same page, and it opens somebody's eyes up to something that maybe they haven't really thought about before. And they they always thought, well, you know, it's always going to be that. Well, not necessarily. Think about it this way. You know, two sides of the coin type deal. So yeah,
2: excuse me. Yeah. So my next question is kind of you know, I kind of want your experience on this. What's, can you share a memorable scenario where understanding policy language was crucial with a claim?
0: At a previous scenario, it was a weather claim. Mm-hmm. The insurer had the ACV law settlement endorsement. However, he didn't read his, he didn't read the endorsement within the policy. So he wasn't, quite understanding as to why we didn't pay any recoverable depreciation for his roof. Right. So he went back to say, oh, the agent didn't tell me to read my policy. No one told me to look past the first page. And mm. I was trying to get him to understand, mm. you know, you signed the policy, so I'm sure the agent went over everything, and I tried to break everything down to him. So in that instance, we did have to get the agent involved to, you know, go over that endorsement and what's in t- entitled in his policy and what was covered. So that made him understand better of what was going on. Yeah.
2: That ACV endorsement is new.
1: It is, it is, yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's two. You have to know which one you work with. You have
2: mm-hmm. to know so much. You have to know the age of the roof. You know, their deck page may say, you know, when they signed the policy application, hey, this roof's 10 years old, but then they could have replaced it and it just didn't get updated with their agent. That's true. There are so many what-if scenarios or different situations and those ACV policies get me. Every time I look at Mm -hmm. them, I'm like, oh gosh, let's let's all join and talk about this just to (laughs) (laughs) make sure we all agree. Yeah, Yeah,
1: nothing wrong with that. Hey everyone, we are back again for another fact or fiction segment here on the podcast. This segment is brought to you by Blue Leopard Agency, a marketing agency that's redefining success in the digital age. Visit blueleopardagency.com today to discover how they can tailor a marketing plan that's as unique as your brand. Don't wait. Take the first step toward marketing success right now. Kelsey, Factor Fiction.
2: All right. Our Factor Fiction today is, as an independent adjuster, the deck page that is in the system loaded there is always the most up-to-date and accurate. That is straight fiction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love you it. want to get that certified copy of policy that is going to be the most accurate and up-to-date. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, because if it's out-of-date and you're reading it that way... Who knows? Changes in endorsements, exclusions, deductibles,
2: Coverage. yeah, everything Coverage could change. In general, I mean, yeah. that will make a big difference. It's huge. Yeah. Plus, you know, like you said earlier, mortgage company, um, all, all of the yep. things.
1: And yep. all of the things. It would be nice if it was the most up to date, yeah. but it's just it's not it hard. rarely is. It's just not. All right, let's jump back into part two of our interview here with Arnesia. Arnesia, there's always going to be opportunities where or situations where you're going to explain a policy endorsement and or an exclusion or some type of language, whether it's in the beginning or time for the coverage decision, and the insurance just going to vehemently disagree with it. They just they don't see it the way it is. How do you get over that hurdle? Because inevitably, it's going to happen, right?
0: So you can tell who you're dealing with from that initial call, what type of person, their attitude, you can hear it in their voice. So you can take that and base it off, okay, so this is how it may go during the process of the claim, any questions, just kind of get a feel like the backstory that they tell you. So when you get to that coverage determination, here's how I'm going to approach it. I can explain this way. They'll be able to understand. They may come back with a rebuttal, a disagreement. You can change your approach. Um, Reference policy language. Like, look, there's a clause in your policy. I'll read it to you verbatim. I will even send you a copy, a snippet of it. Maybe, you you know, you can read it and, black and white and you'll be able to better understand it but there are different ways to approach it and if they're just in straight disagreement at that time I mean hey let me do some more research or this is right now you know we do have a supplement process just go over the Mm -hmm. different processes and give them the options that they're entitled to as the policyholder
1: Yeah, I think one way you can also do it too is, and you can't always do this, but at the beginning of a claim, if you foresee that, hey, this may end up being an issue to where this is not going to be covered, if in fact, you know, sometimes you can head that off in the first or the second phone call go ahead and plant the idea, almost like inception in a way, plant the idea. And so that way, when you get to the end, it's not the first time they've heard it, right? Because right. that coverage day is like, that's judgment day for the claim, right? If you drop the hammer on them that day, a lot of times that's that can cause a big issue. Whereas if you've kind of led up to that point with, hey, I just want to let you know, this could potentially not be covered if this, in fact, is the case. A lot of times that will help you. So,
2: yeah, I mean, you can see it from FNOL. We get new claims, that first notice of loss that we get, and they're like, I've had, you know, just an example, water's <laughs> been leaking from my toilet for the past three years and, you know, it, it we get them. It'll it happens. Mm-hmm. So on that You'd first phone call, you're like, hey, you know, your insurance policy covers things that are sudden and accidental. Did this just happen? Did it happen three years ago and you just kind of been watching it? What's yeah. the situation? And say, yeah. I just want to let you know up front, you know, this this could potentially potentially, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, we'll send somebody out, send out an expert, you know, whatever it takes. But I mean, with, with that being said that way, um, what, how does, you know, your advocacy for insureds, um, being an insured advocate, because that's what we essentially are. Mm -hmm. How does that and, you know, empathy come into play when you're talking about policy limitations or settlements, et cetera?
0: Well, in any claim situation, no matter the situation or what happened, you want to be empathetic, remain professional, unbiased, let them get their frustrations out, Mm -hmm. try to get a feel of what's going on. Um, You know, just let them talk it out, listen to them and then ask them, you know, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. So you want to, you know, let them talk it out go over everything, remain professional, and that way, you know, you can tackle head-on any type of challenge that can help you with your next claim. You know, this is how I handle, this is the approach that I use, and it seems to be very helpful. It didn't cause any confusion. So mm-hmm. just kind of, it's like a learning mom within itself as far as preparing yourself for the next claim or the next insurance. Right.
2: It really is. Like, I've learned not only from myself and phone calls that I make, but by sitting in the office and listening to other people and how they – come to certain decisions or what they do or how they speak to an insured because a lot of times I've seen, you know, from my experience that if you just let them spill their guts to you, you let them talk it out and they're like, you know, I'm sorry, this isn't about you. You know, I just, this is so aggravating and you're like, no, I understand this is, you know, hard, mm-hmm. you know, difficult situation but this is, you know, ultimately the decision that's ultimately in the policy. We are going by what's in that but a lot of times letting them talk it out letting them air the issues that they have kind of they're like oh god i got that off my chest i'm good and then they're like okay i get it you know and move on with your life no seen that a lot
1: yeah, and there's nothing wrong too with telling that policyholder, hey, when your policy comes up for renewal, take this into consideration now. Now that you know this, maybe you can point. get an endorsement for it, or you know, maybe you can adjust it in some way. You you think your deductible is too high? You know, explain to them the opportunity that hey, if you pay a little higher premium, your deductible comes down. Nothing wrong with explaining that as the adjuster. So.
2: Yeah, but at the same time, you gotta let them know. Hey, you still gotta fix this before your no policy is right. going to. Uh, we will know. cover it in the future. Yeah, right. Absolutely, no We've doubt. got photos. We've got you know. We can tell if this Run was prepared to.
0: know the prior claim that does play a right, factor so. in finding fi- filing a new claim. Hey, did you get these past damages? Repair, you're filing a claim for the same damage, the same area. Are these the same existing damages or are they new? If they're new, you need to provide proof that they've been repaired because it does play a part in this new claim um, determination because the policy will not identify for those same damages that you did not get repaired from your last loss. So, Because
2: it literally there is policy <laughs> language in almost every single insurance policy, exclusion for existing damages. Yep. I mean, that's a huge one. If we know that those were existing either prior to your policy inception or prior to this claim, different policies read different ways. Some are one or the other or both, but plays a huge part in it for sure.
1: Yeah, so you've obviously worked a lot of different states, a lot of different types of policies, a lot of different types of losses. So a couple of quick one word answers here. <laughs> Would you rather work AOP or weather claims? Weather. What's the easiest <laughs> policy to interpret? Ooh, HO3. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's the easiest endorsement to explain?
0: For me, the yeah. ACV loss settlement. Easiest. That's the easiest? That's like, look, you're just basically paying the actual cash value. There's no recover depreciation, depending on, not depending on the age, anything. You just, this is what you're going to get for the roof. That's it.
1: Yeah. What is the hardest exclusion to explain? The most difficult one to have to tell somebody about?
0: From experience? Mm. I want to say the non-admitted because they're – so I can't have a public adjuster to represent me. Mm-hmm. I kind of got to do this on my own. But right. I'm like, hey, this is the endorsement in the policy. That's what we're abiding by. We're fulfilling the obligations on the policy. There's nothing we made up. So it's yeah. here in layman's turn, playing black and white, for you to read, for me to relay the information to you as well. Yeah, good stuff. With
2: that, with that one, too, with the PA, uh, there's there's different things because you literally can't contact the PA at all. You get that LOR they're calling you back to back to back, and you can't even answer the phone for them and say, mm-hmm. hey, I can't talk to you. They have an anti-PA endorsement. You have to pretend like they don't exist. It's
0: yeah, talk with the insurer, and they have to send us, well, we have to send in a rescission letter with the APA. Now, where did they send it? Mm. That's a whole other story. What we're no? doing our job is, you know, sending, right. sending the letters <laughs> yeah, to right. have them to send in that rescission letter. Is that yeah. the toughest one? Was that what that was?
1: Yeah. yeah. Toughest explosion. That, one,
2: that one's definitely...
1: I don't right, understand. There. Last one, last one, a little quick questions. What is the most difficult state to work in?
2: <laughs> Drum roll. Sorry, that didn't.
0: <laughs> I'm going to say New York, especially if they have a PA, because yeah. once oh, yeah. that PA get involved, then want, yeah. they're needing. But before any payments, they have to send in a regulations. Team. It's just a whole different ball game. direct yeah. tens are. Because they tell you how to pay,
2: what Talk to pay. Talk more about that real tomorrow. quick,
1: Kelsey. What is that?
2: Reg Ten is a form, regulation ten form, uh, that if they have a PA, we have to send our offer to them. Mm-hmm. They send us this Reg Ten form back and say they we have to agree on the, the amount that you pay before you can pay anything. All of it. All of it. Yep. yep. And then that Reg Ten form comes in with the PA make this payment out to the B, make this payment out to the insured, make this payment out this way, and we have to abide by that Reg Ten and we cannot issue payments until that's received. Yeah. It's insane.
0: It is. And that's the only state that I'm aware of that requires the regulation team form I mean, when the PA is involved.
2: Yeah. I mean, it almost kind of makes it easier though, because you're like, Hey, this is, you know, it's best. It benefits the insured. It benefits the PA. They're so they doing work on sign, the claim. The
0: insurer has to sign that as well. Exactly. know what's be. being paid here. and They're not getting taken advantage of. Because yes. it happens. Yeah, it it does. happens.
2: You never know um, certain claim situations, but I think it's, the Reg 10 is almost beneficial for everyone because you're not overpaying something. You're offering an amount that you know the loss is worth. They're agreeing to it, you know. I don't know. It's it's different for sure.
0: Right. And they can't come back and say, well, I, we believe this is what you, because you signed this Reg 10 agreeing to this amount. So that's, that's what we're paying. Kind of like a release. Signed a notarized release agreement. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Is it notarized, the Reg 10? No. no. You
0: don't have to just sign from the insurer and the PA. Okay. Yeah
2: so um can you discuss the role of technology or software that you may use when you know deciphering policy language clauses you know endorsements is there any software or technology that you use
0: there are different software systems technology out there um or the, you can access the policies uploaded. You can see premium changes, any added endorsements, any if the policy is non-renewal, any kind of updates for that policy and ensure But you'll see it in real time because the agent will be able to upload that in, yeah. I guess you say, a portal. Mm-hmm. But it'll be accessible once you have login credentials as the yeah. adjuster to be able to view those documents.
1: And that's typically put in by the carrier, right? Or put together by the carrier, yeah. I should say. Yeah.
2: So I think what she's... Referencing is like an actual policy system. Mm-hmm. So each yep. carriers are going to have a different one. They may have more than one, um, but you go in and it's accessed by the agent. It's where their agents submit the policies there. Mm-hmm. So any phone calls that agents make, any um, letters that are sent out, they're all there. So you can see if a non-payment letter was sent to the insured. Hey, your your policy was actually canceled due to non-payment. This letter was sent out to you on this date. That's all accessible and. It's huge to have that yep. software for sure.
1: Yep, absolutely. So, as a new adjuster, somebody coming in brand new, what is some tips and advice that you would give them when it comes to interpreting policies? I know when I first started and I saw the first policy, I didn't know what I was looking at or where to find things. So, how would you assist them, or you know, what tips would you give somebody that's brand new? You know, when they start getting claims and they have to learn how to interpret policies, what's the easiest way they can do that?
0: Uh, depending on what's going on, you can search. Like uh, Kelsey mentioned earlier, you can control F search mm-hmm. uh, a specific word in the policy. For example, for wind driven rain in the policy, you will look up sand, mm-hmm. and therefore <laughs> you can go in that policy go. and you it's can find tip. that. We can look up that, that. endorsement yeah. on a Texas wind hail policy. However, it's listed on the deck page, but there are some that does allow wind driven rain, so you have to read that endorsement. Yeah. And then there's some that excludes uh, wind driven rain from the policy. No storm credit open. You just have to. Be able to familiarize yourself and just be determined, be proactive, uh, will to
2: succeed and stay up to date on any changes.
1: Yeah. All good tips.
2: There's always like a key word you can search for. Yep. Like she said, sand, because that what she's quoting is wind or sand, water, steam, et cetera, Mm -hmm. that enters not through a storm created opening. And you have to it really comes with practice I feel like yep. because you're looking at that policy and you're like okay what was what did I find it under because yep. it, it may not it's not as simple as you think it's yep. not as black and white as you think yep. it is a long very long document that mm-hmm. you're searching through it helped me when I first started like you said earlier by printing it out and reading it yep. um however at that time the carry I, wor- I worked for only had a couple policies right um but I've seen them have 10, 20, 30 policies, different types. So yeah. it's really helpful to find something that works for you, whether that's printing it out, whether that's finding your keywords, finding, you know, different scenarios. Because I say that because you're looking for a keyword. It may be listed there, but you got to press enter about five times and see how many more times that right. same right. thing or if yep. it's changed in the see, special provision. See, if it's provisions.
0: under with insured against, then you have yeah. an exclusions exception. so you do have to
2: kind of third for all the it Yep. Way through the water. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Through the water. Yeah, I think w- we had an adjuster that worked here at CNC this was a couple years ago uh, for a you know for a particular carrier they had a situation where every coverage letter they wrote they saved it and kind of extracted all the information to say this was covered this was not based on this policy language and they just kept a running basically like a cheat sheet on like an Excel form and just kept it going that way. So if they ever had it again, they could always go back to it and say, all right, on this type of policy, this is why it was not covered and this is where it set it. So it helped them not only remember it, but I'm the same way. If I type something or write something, it's more likely to stick with me. So that's even a tip for new adjusters too.
0: Yeah, we kind of do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a partial denial for wear and tear or a partial denial due to long-term damage, water damage, or this is a full denial you know, wear and tear deterioration that's not that excluded from the policy, there is verbiage. So, I do have a folder that I keep those letter templates in to use depending yeah. on the state. You got lots of folders. I got do. I like letter-wise. to be organized. There's no, wrong
2: with I love it no, 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 no. though, because you can also reference, like I, when I was writing a lot of coverage letters at one point, I would actually have an Excel spreadsheet that said that same scenario, but then list. Like the insured's name or the claim Mm -hmm. number, that way I could go back and reference and find that. Get the word document from there. I'm like, all right, I already have that. I just handled one like that last week. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some ethical considerations that adjusters need to keep in mind when interpreting policies and making claim assessments?
0: On the more ethical side, always be truthful, honest. You know, be clear and concise. Be upfront, you know, let the insurer know what's going on. Handle all claims. I'm not going to say the same because not all situations are the same. Right. But you do want to handle them in the to be fair and concise. Um, don't go outside of the scope of the policy. Just make sure, you know, everything's understood. You're doing everything as far as the adjuster,
2: what your job entails. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because when I'm I'm thinking of an ethical dilemma that you can come across with policy language, like I mentioned earlier, you get an insurer that says my toilet broke three years ago and I hadn't fixed it. It could be a very ethical dilemma, but when you have to, you know, abide by the laws in your state, you could say, Hey, are you, are you, like I said, are you sure that this happened three years ago? Cause your policy says this because you automatically know I've had this situation happen more than once where mm-hmm. they're like, Oh yeah, I, I wasn't sure on that first phone call. This actually happened last week. They change it up, switch up, you know, and you come back and you're like, Oh, well, this is now going to be a covered loss because they changed, even when it comes to the date of loss, that you say, hey, this date of loss actually happened after your policy was canceled. Right. Oh, well, maybe it didn't happen then. It happened a month or two ago. Those mm-hmm. are very ethical dilemmas that you may want to then go get a recorded statement, mm-hmm. and a reservation right. of rights. You know, yep. It happens every single day. Yep,
0: because I had an instance. It was a fire claim. They were doing illegal activities, and we Ooh. had to get – Legally involved, so. What kind of illegal activities? <laughs> Drugs. Prohibited from the oh, policy, man. they were. And okay, well, it wasn't the insured; I it was put his a tenant. On this it episode. was the. It wasn't the insured; it was his tenant. Although he was prohibited from having, turning into an Airbnb, but there was one specific thing he didn't sign the application, so it allowed for coverage. Uh
1: huh.
2: They, they, In New York, that's
1: interesting with the PA. So it just got more sticky as you kept. It, was, it was awful,
2: the ickiest of stickiest. It really was. <laughs> jeez oh,
0: yeah i, I think can. it was my first new reclaim and i'm like y'all just hit me with a big we
2: hit you yeah. with the uh, yeah. big guns yeah. on day one got your license and then this one yeah that's it i mean but it it happens
1: all right so our as we wrap up here what is and we ask every guest this so will obviously pose the same question to you what is the number one tip that you would give new adjusters as they get into this field number one tip coming from you
0: for me, the number one tip would be always be open and willing to learn new things. Every carrier is different, so no matter where you work, you know, you want to learn their processes. Take something from your previous experience and bring it to your new experience. You can also always maybe help someone out. Um, it could be a seasoned adjuster or someone. They may learn something from you. So always be willing to learn and adapt new changes. And
2: um, Adapt is a great word, though, because, you know, you could work at different TPA firms or different you know carriers or whatever, and... You know, it's not always going to be the same. You're going to come into a situation, you're like, well, I did it this way. You can't come into yeah. a, with that mindset. Yeah. I used to do it this way. This is how this carrier did it. And no, you need to learn this carrier. Learn yeah. how to do this. Keep Be open-minded, like you said. Mm-hmm. I love that answer because that yeah. is so true.
1: Yep. I would agree 100%
2: well thank you for uh, being with us today Arnisha. I love this yeah Arnisha, we time. really appreciate
1: it yeah we hope You're to welcome. have you back obviously um, very excited that you joined us I know I speak for Kelsey and myself mm-hmm. uh, fantastic guests a sort of difficult subject or you know more you know challenging subject to talk about but I thought you did fantastic it's great too that you do it every single day in yeah, multiple states um, so you were a fantastic guest and obviously we appreciate you being here
2: thank you All
1: right. thanks Arnisha
2: thanks Arnisha um,
1: Hey everybody! We just wrapped up a fantastic segment with our Nisha as we go into our Mythbuster of the week. Our Mythbuster this week is sponsored by CNC Connect. CNC Connect is fast approaching, taking place January eighth through the tenth here in downtown Mobile, Alabama. Whether you're a beginner or a seasoned adjuster, this event is an excellent opportunity to boost your knowledge and claims. We have a lineup of very accomplished guest speakers and ample chances for networking. Our early bird tickets are on sale now for just ninety nine dollars, and our. V- VIP tickets are $149. Visit cncconnectconference.com for your tickets today. So, Kelsey, our common myth or misconception of the week is that all homeowners' policies are the same.
2: Mm-hmm. Myth. I mean, I think we went over that so many times today, but there are so many different variables, uh, instances that come into play with endorsements, exclusions, et cetera, non-admitted policies, HO policies, HO, HO3, HO6. So many, so many of them.
1: Yeah. And it's just so much different because like on the flood side, it is all the same policy, just different forms, you know, whether it's dwelling, general property, RC, BAT, but it's all the same. The language is all the same across the board, but homeowners is just so different. Like you said, because of states and endorsements, exclusions, all this kind of thing, you know, there's so much variation in there that it can change one policy to the next. So no, they're definitely not all the same. Not at all. Hey, everybody, and thanks again for giving us a watch and or a listen today on our episode. As we look forward to the season finale of season two of the new adjuster podcast, we go into mastering file reviews as an independent adjuster. So very interesting subject that we are very much looking forward to diving deeper into. Again, we had a very special guest today in Arneesha, and we obviously are very thankful that she joined us as well as thankful that you joined us today, and we look forward to seeing you next time
2: we also look forward to seeing you at cnc connect thanks y'all